Listen. Listen. is K-A-Y-T, Gina, Alexandria. This is Gospel Radio at its very best. 88.1. K-A-Y-T, praising the Lord. Greetings, this is Reverend Lionel Smith, pastor of New Scholar Baptist Church. We are a church that is working towards acquiring the mind of Christ. Sit back and listen to the message already in progress.
Try to clap your hands. Praise brother to be praised. Lift them hands, lift them hands up. Up, up. 
It's honorable to be together, united as one in Christ Jesus. All of us today are sons and daughters, heirs of Jesus Christ, heirs of God, journeyers with Christ. We're those people. If we wasn't born in the family, we was adopted in the family. And I want to share something with you, and we're going to acknowledge the men of God and those that have labored hard in the word and the doctrine. Family derived from one household. It expanded to many households. As I studied about family, something I found out the first time I ever heard it, animals such as dogs and cats was adopted into the family. And they became a liberal part of the family. I used to see, and I want you to hear me, I used to see people have dogs in their cars. If they pick you up or the dog was in the front seat and you get in the back seat, I really didn't understand it then, but I'm seeing clearer every day of my life. I'm seeing pretty clear now. Plus, you know I see better because I just had some eye surgery, huh? And then God gave me some heart surgery so I can see much better. But what I'm trying to say, I never thought about it in that way. I used to be mean and hateful when I see I'm riding in the back seat and you got a dog in the front seat. I was kind of upset. Yeah, I just didn't believe that was right. I said, we're a family. We're supposed to live like a family. But I understand now when I start looking up family, it goes on to in-laws and marriage, blood, adaptation, all of this made a family. And I want to say this to you today. Everybody needs to live as a family in peace and love of Jesus Christ. Uh, today, being family day, we thank God. I, I thank God for my friend, my doctor, my advisor, here today with us, Dr. Charles R. Joyner. And, um, He's here with us today, and I, I called him over and I asked him, I said, look, man, today, family day, uh, come speak for us today. He said, whatever you want to do. Why well, I say that, you should be every day of your life, you ought to be prepared. Amen. Whatever task that confronts you, you should be prepared to do it. Ministers all the time. You can't call me up and tell me, real preach, and I'm going to say, well, I ain't studying nothing. I'm going to study every day. All of it is God's word. Study every day to be prepared. That's one of the scout mottos. Am I right, Boy Scouts? Be prepared. Uh, today, uh, we're going to bring forth today Reverend Jernum and a very good friend, like I said, doctor. And I want to not look over his wife. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Sister Grace Beer Jernum, also, thank God, longtime friend. Her mother and I, we ran up and down these roads singing so much. It was a shame. Many, many years. And at this particular time, I want to bring to you none other than Dr. Charles R. Jernan.
us pray. Gracious Father, we come in humble obedience to the call, not for form or fashion, but we come to bring a word to these, your people. We now decrease as you increase. Let them not see me standing here, Lord, but let them see you through me. Speak now, for your servants are listening. And I will be so very careful to give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good afternoon. All praise to God, the Father, and to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to Pastor Smith, to the ministers on the rostrum, to the officers and members of this great church, to my brothers and sisters in Christ, visitors, friends, sinner, man, woman, boy, and girl, if there be any. We bring you greetings from the Good Hope Baptist Church in Boyce, Louisiana. We came to fellowship and to listen this morning, but as your pastor said, we should always be ready to give an account of the reason, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And I would like for you to bear with me for a few moments as we look at a passage of scripture taken from 1 Samuel, the 30th chapter, verses 1 through 10. The pastor's already recognized my wife, but I'd just like to have her stand. She waved a hand, but I don't know if all of you saw her. <laughs> and we ask that you pray with us and pray for us as we delve into this scripture to see what the Lord has to say to us. Because his word never goes out void. It always reaches somebody. And we hope that something we say will be a benefit to someone this morning. If you have your Bibles, 1 Samuel, the 30th chapter, verses 1 through 10. Thirtieth chapter, verses 1 through 10. Amen? Amen? And from the King James Version, it reads, And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city and behold, it was burnt with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lift up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captive, 
Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought hither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So David went, he and the six hundred men that were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and four hundred men, for two hundred abode behind, which was so faint that they could not go over the brook Besor. Amen. From a subject this morning, who can I turn to? Who can I turn to? When was the last time you were depressed? When were your last times in the depths of despair? What was the cause of it? Problems with relationships? Financial problems? Family problems? Sickness? Death of a loved one? You see, it's not a matter of if you will be depressed, but when. It is said that depression affects more people in our culture than any other emotional disorder. Great men, such as Abraham Lincoln, Tolstoy, Robert E. Lee, Winston Churchill, Martin Luther, John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, and Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, suffered from depression. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, a depressed Christian is a contradiction in terms. I want you to listen to that again. A depressed Christian is a contradiction in terms. The devil's one object is to so depress God's people that he can go to the man of the world and say, there are God's people. Do you want to be like them? The two men who met with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah, suffered from the strain of their ministry to the point that both of them prayed that they would die. Jacob was depressed when his messengers returned from taking gifts to Esau and was told that Esau and 400 of his men were on their way to meet Jacob. Hagar was in the depths of despair when Abraham sent her and Ishmael out into the desert. And when they had run out of water, she put her child under a bush. And then it says she went an arrow shot away, about a hundred yards away, because she did not want to see her child die. She went way away and she wept because there was nothing that she could do. 
The children of Israel were depressed when they found themselves with their backs to the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army coming after them. And they said to Moses, we told you before we left, it would be better for us to be slaves in Egypt than to die in this wilderness. The widow of Zarephath was in the depths of despair. You see, all she had was a handful of flour and a little bit of oil in a crucible. And she said, I'm going to take this oil and this flour, and I'm going to make a little cake for me and my son. And we're going to eat it, and then we're going to die. Talking about depression, talking about despair. You see, it comes to all of us, and I'm just so glad that God found ways to show us that ordinary people in the Bible, you know, we always think of the people in the Bible as being extraordinary or, or super ordinary, but they're just like you and me. And they suffered depression. They had hardships just like you and me. And when you can't find anybody in your neighborhood, anybody in your church, anybody that you know that's going through depression, God says, delve into my word. Let me show you some people that have been depressed. And let me show you how they got out of it. And just like they did, you can too. Jonah was depressed. You see, the Lord had given Jonah a gourd to shade him from the hot sun. One day he had the gourd and the next day it withered. And when the hot sun started beating on his head, he was so mad he wished he could die. Thomas was depressed. You see, Thomas, one of God, uh, Jesus' disciples, was with him. And when Jesus decided he was going to go back to Judea because he had gotten news that Lazarus had died, he said, well, man, you can't go back there. They want to stone you. But Jesus was determined to go back, and all Thomas could say to the other disciples was, let us go with him and die. He saw no hope in the situation that he was in. Paul was in despair. In 2 Corinthians 1 and 8, when he told them about all the trouble he went through in the province of Asia and how he thought he would not live through it. Depression is on every hand. But if you know your Bible, and if you study your Bible, you know that God was at work in the lives of all of these people. And that these people came through their depression and their despair. Amen. Now I want you to spend some time with me in this text that we've read. Because we want to go into just a little bit of detail to let you know how David handled his depression. David's going to show us how to handle depression and also who to turn to in the depths of depression and despair. In the way of background. See, David had been anointed to be the king That's right. of Israel. That's right. Amen. Saul did not like David because the people were saying, David has killed his ten thousands and Saul has killed his thousands. He became jealous and wanted to do whatever he could to get rid of David. So David had to flee from Saul, had to flee for his life. He goes to live with the Philistines arch enemies of Israel because he figured that Saul would not chase him into the land of the Philistines. 
He and his 600 men lived in a town called Ziklag. They had an alliance with King Achish, the king of the Philistines. And because they had this alliance, they were able to live in peace with the Philistines. They lived there for a year and four months. David would raid the Amalekites and any of the others in that area. Because, you see, the Amalekites were arch enemies of Israel. And instead of Saul destroying them like God told him to, they would come in and raid Israel from time to time. So David took advantage of this opportunity to raid the Amalekites. And he went into the towns and he would kill the men and the women. Because he didn't want any witnesses to go back and tell King Achish what he was doing. Because when he went back to the king, he would tell him, oh, I raided down in the south. He didn't tell him where he actually went. But he was under the cover of falsehood, doing what he could do to get rid of his arch enemies. So you can see the things that are piling up on David. One day, the Philistines decide that they're going to attack the Israelites. As they get in their army array, their battle array, getting ready to go and fight, back at the back of the, the army is King Achish, David and his 600 men. Well, the commanders of the Philistine army say, uh-uh, no way are we going to go into battle with David and his men. We don't trust him. How do we know that once we get into battle, we're fighting against Saul and Israelites, how do we know that they won't come up behind, change their minds about which side they're on, and start fighting us? And we end up losing the battle because we're caught in the middle of these two bands of Israelites. So they say, no way, King Akish. If he has to go, we're not going. So King Akish tells David and his 600 men that they got to go back home. They got to go back to Ziklag because the other members in the army won't allow them to go with them. So they march for three days. Force march. They want to get home. You know how it is when you're in the army, when you're in the military, and you're going home on leave? Fastest way you can get there is how you want to go there. You can't wait to get home and see your family and your friends, your loved ones. So these men marched three days, force march, to get home. Because they wanted to rest and be with their families. Amen. But lo and behold, when they got to the town, they saw that the town had been burned to the ground. All the women and the children and everything else had been taken. But I want you to hear this. Nobody was killed. David and his men had killed the men and the women when they raided the towns of the Amalekites. But in paying them back, the Amalekites didn't kill any of the women and children. There was no resistance when they got to the town. There was nobody to fight, so there was no need for anybody to be killed. That's right. That's right. The hand of providence, the hand of God is at work here. David had no business being where he was. And he's going to have to pay for the things that he's done. But God is a good God. He loves us so much. And despite our shortcomings, despite our stumbling and falling, he's always there to pick us up. He doesn't turn his back on us like we turn our backs on him. And here he is, ready to take care of David's problems. 
But David's got to do a little bit of suffering before he can really understand what's going on. So look at the situation that David finds himself in. He had to leave his homeland because Saul wanted to kill him. He's shunned by the Philistines because they don't trust him and don't want him to fight with them. So he has to go back to Ziklag. And you know, I think that again is the hand of God. Because how in the world could David and his men fight their brothers? How could they go against Saul and the Israelites? Although Saul wanted to kill David, I don't think they would have been able to stand opposite their brothers and kill them, fight against them. So I think God wanted David out of the way. He wanted him to go back to Ziklag mm -hmm. because there was something in Ziklag that he needed to take care of. Yes. And he gets home and his two wives and all the wives and all the children of all the other men have been taken captive. The town has been burned to the ground. What in the world are they going to do? Things get so bad that even his own men want to stone him. The men that followed him in battle, the men that were willing to die for him, now want to stone him. Why? Because David should have left somebody there to protect the town. Now, they didn't think of it either. They all were ready to go into battle because of the rewards that they would get. Aren't you and I just like that? Don't we try to find somebody to blame? No matter what part we play in the situation, we're always looking for somebody to put the blame on. If so-and-so had just done thus-and-so, everything would be all right. It's always somebody else's fault. David is all alone. How much worse could it get? He has no one to turn to. He has no one to turn to. He has no one to turn to. But wait. Who was it that anointed him king when he was just a boy? Who did it? God. Who was it that gave him the strength and the courage to kill a lion and a bear that was trying to get to his sheep? God. Who was it that gave him the courage to kill Goliath? God. Don't be afraid to say it. God. Who was it that helped him to kill his ten thousands when Saul was killing his thousands? God. Who could he turn to now that he was all alone? God. Wasn't he, in fact, a man after God's own heart? Isn't that why God anointed him king of Israel in the first place? Because God saw something in David. But the sixth verse tells us, But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And you and I need to learn something from David in this instance. Then we need to put our trust and our faith in the Lord because it is the Lord who is able to bring light out of darkness. It is the Lord who is able to take peace out of trouble. It is the Lord who is able to take good out of evil. 
we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are the call according to his purpose. So what does David have to tell us? How did David do it? First of all, by repressing his fear and unbelief. He told us in Psalms 42 and 11, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. That's the answer he said. Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. How did he do it? By directing his thoughts to God. You know, as long as you and I continue to think about the bad things, as long as you and I keep worrying about what's going on, what's happened in the past, as long as you and I keep our heads down and our hearts are heavy and sunken, there's no way that we're going to get through our problems. There's no way that God can help us because instead of looking up, we're looking down. But David placed his trouble in the background. Instead of thinking about all the problems he was going through, he started thinking about the Lord. He says, I will not fear. What can man do me? He says, I'm not going to worry about this. He tells us in Psalms 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. What is he confident in? One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. He said, for in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. Where else can I go but to the Lord? Who else can I turn to but the God of my salvation? And then he says he needs to inquire of the Lord. So what did David do? He called for Abiathar, the priest. He says, bring me the ephod. And the ephod was a, a vest that the, priest, that the high priest wore. And attached to that was a little sack that had two stones in it, the Urim and the Thummim. And these were sacred stones that were used to determine the will of God in their lives. And he took those stones and he inquired of the Lord. He said, shall I chase them? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. You and I need to inquire of the Lord. You and I need to ask him when we're in the midst of trouble, when we're in the midst of despair, we need to say, Lord, what will thou have me to do? Lord, what do you want me to get out of this? Lord, what is it you're trying to tell me in this situation that I'm in? Lord, I pray that you will show me the way out. 
And then after you've done all of that, he says, obey the will of the Lord. Once God tells us what to do, we need to obey him. Not question him, obey him. Even if we don't understand what he tells us to do, even if it doesn't make sense to us, we need to do what he tells us to do. He tells us in his word we must walk by faith and not by sight. You see, because when you make the first couple of steps, he'll reveal some more space for you. And you can go a little bit further. And the further and further you go in his will, the more and more he reveals to you. The easier and easier it gets. Because you put your trust in him. So David decides to be obedient. It says that he and his 600 men set out in pursuit. And they got to the brook Bezoar. Now this was, it says, a torrent. It was a, a, a stream, a creek. But it was a fast-moving creek. And it required some effort to get over to the other side. But he said that 200 of the men couldn't go across the creek. Because they were tired, because of the grief, because of the lack of food. Whatever reason it was, they couldn't go any further. It took strength to move the, the supplies and stuff across the creek. And they couldn't do it. So 200 of them stayed right there. Now, for you and me, that would have been disheartening, wouldn't it? You know, the Lord has just told us to go. And once we go in faith, something comes up. We're going on along trusting in the Lord. He said, get in your car and go down the road. Well, the car breaks down before we get to the corner. He says, go on down to the bank and tell the man to give you the loan. But you get down there and the bank is closed. They're closed for lunch. Or you go in there and the man that you're supposed to talk to is out sick that day. Whatever reason it was, it didn't go like it was supposed to go. It would say, well, Lord, you told me to do this. What now, Lord? I'm doing what you told me to do. But David had put his trust in the Lord. And David took the 400 that could go on, and they kept on going. See, because he knew that although he didn't know where he was going, that the Lord was going to show him the way. He didn't know where the Amalekites were, but the hand of providence, the hand of the Lord was at work. And he said, I'm going to trust in the Lord. And he kept on going. And guess what? An Egyptian slave that they had left behind because he was sick, couldn't keep up. They left him there to die. But God kept him alive because God had to use him as an instrument in his plan for David. God kept him alive until David could get there. And David and his men gave him some water and some food. And he was able to revive himself. And David said, where did they go? He said, well, I'll tell you. If you promise not to kill me when you get to them. And they said, okay, we promise you we won't kill you. So he led them to the camp where the Amalekites were. But you see, they weren't worried. They didn't know anybody was coming up behind them. They were celebrating. They were partying and having a good time. They were eating and drinking and dancing. 
So these 400 men were able to defeat the Amalekite army, except for 400 young men that got on camels and got away. Everybody else they were able to kill. And just as the Lord said, everything that they took from you, you'll get it all back. All the women, all the children, all the animals, everything was right there waiting for them to come. And David was able to get his two wives back. And the other men were able to get their wives and their children back. And they gave David all the scores. The same one that wanted to stone him just a couple of days ago are praising him for his leadership, for everything that he's done. And it's all because David put his trust in the Lord. Although he was in the midst of despair, he obeyed God and got everything back. You and I, if we obey God and do his will, there's no telling what kind of blessing waits for us down the road. There's no telling what he can do for us to get us out of the gloom and despair that we're in. But it won't happen until we put our trust in him. It won't happen until we say, Lord, I'll follow you. Lord, you are the one that I'm looking to. You are the one that I'm turning to. You are the one that I'm trusting in. But just as David was in the midst of despair, just as you and I have been in the midst of despair and depressed at times, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, was in the midst of despair. Don't you remember when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane? How he said, Father, take this cup from me. If it be your will, Father, take this cup. But not my will, but thy will be done. He said, I'm going to be obedient to you, Father. I'm going to do what you sent me to do. No matter what it costs me, I'm going to do what you sent me to do. Let your will be done. And then there he was, hanging on that old rugged cross. All the sins of the world on his shoulders. And his father turns his back on him. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he stayed there. He could have called legions of angels and he could have come down from that old rugged cross. But he stayed there for your sins and my sins. He stayed right there. They had his hands nailed. They had his feet nailed. And they were going around saying, if you be the son of God, come down and save yourself. I'm so glad it was Jesus and not me. (laughs) See, because man would have got him in. I would have had to come down just to show him. I'm going to show you I can come down. But he said, no, I must do the will of him who sent me. And he stayed there on that old rugged cross. Thirsty, and they gave him bitter gall to drink. They pierced him in his side, and they mocked him. And when he had done all that the Father had sent for him to do, all that he had called him to do, he said, it is finished. And he gave up the ghost. He hung his head in the locks of his shoulders, and he died. 
He didn't swoon. He didn't faint. He died on that old rugged cross for your sins and my sins. And on that fateful Friday evening, they took him down and put him in a borrowed tomb. And he stayed there Friday night and Saturday and Saturday night, but early on Sunday morning, with all power in his hand, in heaven and in earth, he got up. He got up. He took the sting from death. He took the victory from the grave. He got up. He had brought glory and honor to his father, and his father brings glory and honor to him by raising him from the dead. It says to us in Hebrews 12 and 2, look at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy, what? Joy on a cross? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He suffered the shame of that death on the cross. Despising the shame. And it's set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men. Who was treated so cruelly, so meanly while he was here. So that you and I, when we are going through the midst of depression and despair, won't grow weary. Won't grow tired. We won't lose heart. We'll keep on keeping on because he's shown us by example what we need to do. David has shown us by example in this story what we need to do. And I tell you as I go to my seat, it does not matter what the problem is. I don't care what you're going through. No matter what the problem, I know somebody. I know somebody who can solve whatever problem you're going through. But what you got to do is put your trust in him. Put your faith in him. And everything will be all right. My God, my God. Who are you going to put your trust in now? Our Savior, Jesus Christ. Who can I turn to when I went through all types of disparity? When it seemed like nothing I say worked for me. Who can I turn to? When everybody seemed to have turned against me. Who can I turn to? You're not able to talk to nobody. Who can I turn to? When your name is being scammed falsely, who can I turn to? I may not be the best of anything. I'll have the best of everything, but I know one thing. I got Jesus, and that's enough. If there be anybody here today, anybody that don't know Jesus, that's Lord and that's Savior. We will ask that you just give God your heart this morning. Pastor, how can I give God my heart? By telling God, not me, by telling God, Lord, I'm a sinner. I want to be saved. Have mercy upon me. Even as I am. The song says, just as I am. You don't have to front him. Just tell him. When you can't tell nobody else, he'll receive it just as you are. Then he'll work on you. He'll change you. Make that transition in your life where you'll come to be just even as he is. Let the Lord do it. He's ready to work it right now. It seems like most people don't come to church to praise God anymore. 
not really praise him. We have learned so well how to pretend to have church. It seems as though we are praising him with our facades and masks. I don't know about you tonight, but for me, I came here to really praise him.
Thank you. 